Hey everybody, uh, this week, uh, real quick, uh, up top, I wanted to thank uh, all the people again for the kind reviews and the high ratings on iTunes. It's very kind of you. It's helping us out. We're glad that we're actually, you know, doing something that people enjoy. Um, this week we're talking with David Melville. David Melville's uh, one of the co-founders of the Independent Shakespeare Company here in Los Angeles. Uh, every summer they put on uh, a, just a, a bunch of free shows in Griffith Park, which is as you might guess, a park here in Los Angeles. Uh, they're wonderful. I go to as many as possible with my wife. We, we always go. We enjoy them. And uh, David brings uh, a lot of comedy to his shows, um, uh, you know, where necessary, uh, but in places that some people don't normally necessarily find it, and he doesn't necessarily... He makes it a little more accessible, maybe, than some people do. While I'm not an, entirely a Philistine, it does take an awful lot for me to sit through just about anything for too long. So uh, his comedy, I find, helps. Um, I was lucky enough to uh, talk with him before they performed As You Like It a few weeks back. Uh, there's a clip of that, actually, at the end of this, um, and it's and it's pretty great. Um, so you'll, you'll get that. He wanted to talk about Gerard Hoffnung uh, at the Oxford Union. Uh, now, I had never heard of Gerard Hoffnung before he brought him up. Um, he's more of a name in, in England, and I'm glad that I know who he is now. Uh, this is a really great album. Uh, it's if Perhaps if you're American, then maybe some there might be a slight uh, accent barrier, but that's okay. It's, it's quite good and uh, quite funny. Uh, maybe a little unusual to you, perhaps. was to me at first, um, but I, 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 really, I, I really like it quite a bit. And uh, the ending is, is, is quite nice and poignant, and I made sure to tag that whole thing at the end uh, of this uh, episode. So let us know what you think. Uh, I hope you enjoy the episode. And uh, one other thing is I, I noticed that you can buy the entire thing digitally on uh, on Amazon. And we always put a link up to uh, being able to buy, to where you can buy the album on comedyonvinyl.com. Some people don't necessarily go there. They go there from iTunes. Um, but yeah, you can get it for 89 cents per side of the record. It's uh, it's a shorter record anyway, but it's definitely worth a listen. Um, the vinyl's a little harder to get, but not impossible. Um, so enjoy this episode, and thanks again. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us this week. I have David Melville with me. Thank you for being here. Hello, Jason. And uh, in case people don't know, you are a co-founder of the Independent Shakespeare Company here in Los Angeles. That's right, yeah. And we're here tonight to see As You Like It. And uh, so, But you wanted to talk about Jared Hoffnung's at the Oxford Union. Jared Hoffnung, what is it called? Jared Hoffnung at the Oxford Union. Yes, yes. right. So, um, <laughs> I had never heard of this, and I love when people surprise me. So, uh, is this something you grew up listening to? Uh, yeah, it, I, I did. Um, uh, it's interesting. I mean, when you said pick, uh, you know, one of your favorite comedy records, uh, this this probably wouldn't have been the one that you know would have been at the top of my list. Yeah. a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I grew up in the UK, we only had two channels. No, three channels. Yeah, well, one of them wasn't worth watching. So. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and that was it really. And I was at boarding school, so uh, you know, and we didn't have a video recorder. Uh, they were invented at some point, but we couldn't afford one. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and uh, 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 so. We, the only way you could sort of get to know stuff was on was on these records, and I remember Faulty Towers uh-huh. was uh, one of my favorite t- TV shows. Sure, and uh, 
but I, I, I first sort of experienced it through these records oh, that yeah. I'd, I'd be given at Christmas. Yeah, that's so funny. <laughs> and then, and then you know, eventually got around, to, you know, seeing them on TV when I was my, my summer holidays or you know, whatever coincided with them actually playing it on television. Yeah. One of the two channels <laughs> when they weren't playing, uh, what do they play? Curling uh-huh. or, or uh, uh, um, uh, uh, darts? Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> hours and hours of darts they would be on television. Um, so I, I used to buy a lot of these records, um, and uh, so Monty Python. I, sure. I, you know, my first experience of Monty Python was the records, not the TV huh. show, uh, um, all sorts of other things. And I would go through my father's record collection looking for stuff, and he was a he was the second trumpet player in the uh, uh, London Symphony Orchestra. Oh, wow! So his he had a massive record collection, and all classical records. Uh-huh. <laughs> No, he had one or two some jazz things <laughs> yeah. and, and a couple yeah, yeah, of yeah. interesting sort of some Beatles records, but, uh, and there, there were just a couple of these uh, these old comedy records that he had, um, and uh, uh, there was the you know some singles from Peter Sellers uh-huh. back in the that were produced by George Martin, yeah, yeah, on, on the Parlophone mm-hmm. label, which used to be a, a, a comedy label. Oh, right, right, and then yeah. until he signed the Beatles, and then it became like the Beatles. Of course, yeah, you know. Uh, Did he have She Loves You, the bit where he just does She Loves You six different ways? Yes, oh yeah. my god. <laughs> that is one of the creepiest things I've ever heard in my life. Well, I often break out uh, uh, Peter Sellers doing uh, 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 Richard III as. No, uh, uh, doing uh, A Hard Day's Night as Richard III. Yes. Or as Laurence Olivier. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then, and then there was this record, and I, I, I first knew Jared Hoffnung because he, he's. He's really an incredible man. He, principally, I suppose he was a, 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 an artist or a cartoonist, mm-hmm. and he did cartoons for some of the uh, papers and stuff. But um, uh, he was really famous for these uh, cartoons that he would do about orchestras and yeah. you know, musicians getting into funny, you know, like a, playing a you know a, a musician trying to master an instrument, which actually sort of turns into a snake, oh, which ends yeah. up devouring him. You mm-hmm. know, and uh, uh, Think that, so I think that's how people got to know him was through his his, his cartoons, and then he uh, uh, he ended up being a sort of pundit on the radio back in the fifties, uh-huh. and uh, um, uh, and through that sort of got booked to do a bit of you know some uh, after dinner speaking. Mm-hmm. He's not a comedian, right? He was right. a he was a ra- what do they call him a raconteur yeah. or something like that? Yeah, a public speaker. Mm-hmm. I don't know that he did a huge amount of it either. And they're just the BBC recorded one of these, which was him addressing the Oxford Union in December fourth, nineteen fifty-eight. And uh, um, this is the record. And my dad would say, you know, you know. I'm listening to all my comedy records. No, you don't need to. You need to listen to Hoffnung, and uh, and and I did listen to it and um, quite a bit. And it was, uh, you know, it's it, the, the humour is, uh, it, it's well, it's very British, yeah, which is interesting is because he's actually German. Uh-huh. Right, right. <laughs> but then if you go far enough back, everything in Britain is sort of German. That is true. That is true. <laughs> uh, um, uh, but it's sort of like proto Monty Python in a way. It's like that the, the sort of very British vein of sort of the humour of the absurd. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he, you know, his material actually isn't on paper that great. A lot right. of his stuff was just reading um, uh, letters. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, he, he did a whole bit where he was uh, he wrote to some uh, people in 
know, Yugoslavia or someone trying to plan holidays. Yeah. Which is what you had to do back then. You right, had to write. Right. I remember when I went on my first camping trip, mm-hmm. I had to write in French to some campsite. Uh huh. And then I would receive this handwritten letter back saying, yes, you are confirmed. Amazing. And, you know, uh, uh, with a, no, with a, uh, there was sort of broken English they would write back in. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so he wrote to some, you know, European places and, and he would read these sort of absurd replies that he would get, you know, there is a French widow in every room. It's <laughs> 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 really amazing. Uh, uh, I, don't, I, 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 suppose, I suppose they're all true. Right, <laughs> he right. might have been making them up. He, he could have been. But he, uh, he even retells it so shows on the cover. I have a slightly different, uh, my album cover slightly different than this, but it, uh, the, the bricklayer story, which I, I did a little research on. I know I'd heard of it before. Uh, that's his retelling of a retelling, but I guess he's notorious for just the way he retold it. His timing is dragging yeah, on, that out. On paper, so it is—it's you know—it's a vaguely amusing story. I right. guess he got it out of uh, Reader's Digest or yeah, something yeah, like that. Right. Yeah, and uh, uh, but he just reads it verbatim. But it's yeah, it's his timing. Yeah, um, uh, it's which is just genius. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and and his phrasing. Mm-hmm. And the, I think the funniest bit is where he, I mean. I, I, are people going to listen to it? Or is it are you, yeah, I'm going to put clips in it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, it's the, the bit where <laughs> the final bit because he goes up and down the bricks, right. bricks haul him up, and then the bricks come down, and then and then the, and then there's the empty barrel, and he this is his long pause. It was then I lost my presence of mind. The <laughs> <laughs> way he says it, I I don't know whether it it, it, it sounds like he's. Uh, He's about to burst into laughter himself, or right. uh, he also sounds like he's had several glasses of something. Oh yes, he does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know whether he really did it or that it's just his his yeah. his, his shtick. But mm-hmm. it, uh, and it was the fifties, and yeah. everybody yeah. back then was sort of walking around and you know, half a. You know, and what was here. kind of blowing my mind too is when I looked up how old he was when he did this, which is not very. That he was 30. born in 1925, so yeah. he was 30, 33 when he did this? Yeah. How the hell is that possible? I know. And when you look at the pic- pictures of him, and he looks like he's, you know, well, that's his drawing of him, but uh, it doesn't look like... No. Well, it's the English diet, you know? Yes. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> um, yeah, I know he's, you know, he's bald and you know, a bit tubby. <laughs> but, uh, um, uh, and he was dead the next year. Right, yeah. right. And he sort of, uh, what, what I found too interesting also, besides doing the research on him, is that just the very end, the coda of the whole thing is not remotely comedic. It's most, it's just, I'm a big hippie and here's how I feel, uh, you know, and I thought it was beautiful. It's really beautiful. It's nice, it's not, and, you know, and some I mean? of those toffs at the Oxford Union start heckling him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm here to talk about me! <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, th- that's sort of surprising in a way, because, mm-hmm. you know, and when I... As a kid, I, you know, I guess uh, slightly rebelling in my own way. Uh, you know, my father was a classical musician, there was mm-hmm. classical music, and I was in a rock and roll and everything. And, sure. Uh, you know, I suppose my initial sort of uh, feeling about you know, Hoffman probably was that he was a little bit sort of fusty and, uh, you know, but he's not, you know, he's, right. uh, uh, and like you say, he's sort of a proto hippie. He, he's, uh, you know, it's funny, I don't know, if he'd lived into the 60s, I, I, I think he would have been quite happy with that generation. Because the sure. thing he says at the end of the, you know, so I won't feel like my life started until the youth of today actually stand up and, you know, take on these issues. Yeah. Like, uh, what does he call it? Uh, uh, equal color opportunities. Or right, like right. That. And, uh, yeah. you know, and he was definitely... Uh, 
uh, you know, fighting homophobia and yeah, and, uh, he was a Quaker. Yeah, I saw that. That was kind of fascinating to me too. But he just and he just barely missed it. Just barely. He just barely misses English rock. He just barely misses, you know, every, you know, a, a huge social movement. Well, he was a little he, sad. But. He would he would organize these um, uh, uh, concerts. Oh yeah. With these really wacky concerts mm. where they would. Uh, uh, I think Malcolm Arnold wrote wrote a piece called was it a Grand Grand Overture or something? It was in, uh, dedicated to uh, the president. Uh, U.S. president at the time, Hoover. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and it was a, it was a, a classical piece, all played by vacuum cleaners. <laughs> That's amazing. That's, <laughs> that's amazing. I feel rather. I feel rather like the man uh, who, uh, when asked which organ he would like to keep, said he wanted to keep his navel. And when they said why. <laughs> When he said, why? <laughs> when he was asked why, he said, because I have a strange habit. I eat celery in bed, and it's a very convenient place to keep the salt. <laughs> And then you had the, there was another piece where you had the pianist was playing I don't know Grieg or something, uh, and 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 the orchestra were playing Tchaikovsky and they were fighting each other. <laughs> so, oh my uh, God, that's good. Um, so uh, yes, and he was so he did all, and and he was a tuba player as yeah. well. He would um, uh, he you know he could play the there's a piece classical piece with a tuba solo that he would, mm-hmm. he would do. Um, so he he did all of these things. So you know, incredibly skilled. Were you aware of him before the album, though, at all? Was it just something... I, I knew him from... I, the first... My first sort of... I, I think at my grandparents' house, you know, when I was a kid, I'd pull out all of, all of their cartoon books, and there was several books of Hoffman's oh, okay. cartoons. So okay. I knew he was through that, and then, you know... I, I don't know when I first listened to the record, but it was probably, you know, in my early teens, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, I just completely forgot about him. Yeah. Um, for many, many years, until... Uh, <laughs> I read a review of my performance of Benedict and Much Do About Nothing. Uh-huh. Uh huh. The Stephen Lee Morris is the you know the editor of the theatre page at the LA Weekly. Mm-hmm. It was a lovely review, and he was talking about uh, how I was how my character was channeling Gerard Hoffman. <laughs> you know, and, and you know, I had the hardest time with this part. Uh huh. Because, uh, I, I, literally, this is absolutely true, I, the dress rehearsal, I did not have a character. Yeah. I thought the play was going to be our biggest flop ever. Mm-hmm. I hadn't got a clue what I was doing. I didn't, I just hadn't found a way into it. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, I, 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 that happens more often than, you know, uh, than is comfortable. Sure, sure. Because, you know, one of my, I'm, you know, I produce the festival with my sure. wife as well as, Sometimes direct, but you know, I'm normally acting in something. So uh, I'm thinking about all these other things, and you know, often the performance is the last thing to of course, to happen. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, we were working. I just didn't really quite find a way into Benedict, and I guess he's normally sort of approached as a sort of playboy or aging sure. playboy, and yeah. he's uh, you know he's always playing the women and everything, and Wait, yeah, uh, and it just wasn't working for me, and it just wasn't clicking, and. So I, I was in the car when I was thinking about why does this, what is it that, why isn't this man married and settled down? Why is he railing against women? Why hasn't, you know, uh, 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 
clicked for him. And I, I thought, you know, look at it from the opposite. You know, look at it from the female's perspective and think, well, maybe this guy, you know, isn't has never settled down with a woman because he's impossible to live with. Uh-huh. And and I thought, well, what was what would the archetype be for that? Mm-hmm. And I thought about the sort of typical sort of English gent, mm-hmm. pipe smoking. Here's a picture of Hoffman smoking a pipe. Uh-huh. You know, very set in his ways. And because Benedict is sort of middle aged and he's one of those guys that's you know he's so and that's you know thinking he's so stuck in his way mm-hmm. his ways that the that's why he's not compatible with anybody. Yeah, know? he doesn't want any of that to be disturbed. So I, I, you know, I thought about all these archetypes, and, and one of the things that I've been paying some attention to is uh, uh, this really fun magazine and Facebook page group in Britain. Uh, the, the magazine is called The Chap, uh-huh. and they're all, they seem to be mostly relatively young people in, in Britain who are uh, um, they uh, uh, they dress in thirties and forties clothes, uh-huh. and they sort of affect. That's you know the, those personas and mm-hmm. manners and uh, and you know they had the chap has a manifesto that's sort of thou shalt never ne- thou shalt never not wear tweed <laughs> <laughs> thou shalt always smoke <laughs> thou shalt always cultivate interesting facial hair <laughs> and I, you know and the, the, the pictures of some of the people on this oh Facebook page are they're you know wearing their tweed jackets mm-hmm. and if they get a new tweed jacket they say like, I got this you know wonderful back tweed um, oh you know, they post a picture of it and. Uh, you know, they're sort of, you know, I guess from a modern perspective, quite fusty fashions, but sure, they're sure. really fun. Yeah. And I thought, you know, Benedict would really fit into that. You know, he's a chap. He's someone who smokes a pipe. Mm-hmm. He has a big moustache, and he's uh, he's really <laughs> set in his ways and views women in a very sort of particular way. Sure. And uh, um, and part of uh, discovering that was was finding this kind of old-fashioned sort of forties or fifties voice. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, uh, and I, I didn't know where it came from, but I was the, and uh, when when I read that review, and he said, "Oh, it's Gerard Hoffnung." Oh my God, that's it! <laughs> it's Hoffnung, and uh, um, uh, you know, suddenly it all made a lot of sense. And, and then I went back, and you know, next time I was back in the UK, and I often, whenever I go back, my dad and I will stay up to like four o'clock in the morning listening to records. That's awesome. And uh, we we were listening to this, and I was like, oh. <laughs> and uh, so he let me have it. <laughs> I brought it back. I brought it back to the USA. I have the. Re- well, it's, it's in my hands right now. But unfortunately, I do not have a record player. <laughs> so it's absolutely useless. But it's quite pretty, and it says on the back, "Christmas from Jeff." Christmas 1960. I think Jeff might have been uh, an ex-boyfriend of my mother's or something. So it's been crossed out. <laughs> Actually, you know, and I saw that show, and now I can hear it. Now that you say that, now that uh, I, uh, that's so funny. Now I'm going to have to listen to this again, though, with that in mind. Just that that's sort of who you then realized you were channeling. Well, and yeah, and then going back and then listening to it again. It's like, you know, his his uh, his timing and his phrasing. Mm-hmm. Sort of, you know, uh, picked up, and I guess. I'm playing Touchstone tonight. You know, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe there's a bit of him in that. It's uh, 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 what's interesting listening to this record is that is um, how much he projects his voice because yeah. he's in the Oxford Union, and uh, uh, you know he's. Well, there are microphones there, obviously, because he's being recorded. Sure. But I, I'm, they probably weren't amplifying him. Right. So he's he's actually performing on a stage. Mm-hmm. Essentially, un- unmiked, and that's how we perform here. Mm-hmm. Um, so we really have to, we really have to project. And actually, some there's something about that that makes you much more physically engaged as a performer. Sure. Um, and 
there was a few times that I've been on a stage and have been on a microphone. Mm. I've never done stand-up comedy. Yeah. Uh, but we, you know, we do our little vaudeville stuff, and you know. And now, from did you see Comedy of Errors last year? Yes, yes, it is. The Doctor Pinch, the mm -hmm. part I played in that. You know, I was playing the ukulele. We had a little forties band. Yeah. Now this. He's, uh, he's gone on. We got booked for parties and weddings. That's and stuff amazing. Like that. <laughs> we That's amazing. We become a little band, and uh, and we do uh, uh, stuff. And there's you know half half the fun of it is the shtick in between the songs. Sure. But being on a microphone and it's a very different uh, skill. Yeah. That, oh yeah. That modern stand-up comedians are you know very adept with. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, uh, it's 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 a you know I guess it's the difference between an electric guitar and acoustic you know sure uh, <clears throat> but there's something there's something great about a performer really using all of their body to to project and you know making their voice really loud which is what he has to do so sure. you know, so and and then part of that is really sort of going with the vowel sounds mm -hmm. and uh, you know there's Some of his phrasing is, is you know, sort of really sort of put a so. He's got a big sort of soaring, <laughs> you know. Uh, you know, it sounds really, it does sound sort of old-fashioned, yeah, which is yeah. which is fun. You know. It's also funny too when he gets really quiet. It's it's very difficult to hear. But there are a couple times he even shushes them when it's clear either he's cracking up or he's done something <laughs> right, yes. making them crack. It's like shh. Yes, yeah, it's so freaking funny. <laughs> um, do, um, what I was going to ask is, as far as acting physically and like you say and having to project and all that, do you is there any different approach to you to doing drama than to doing comedy as far as physicality? Uh. I, you know, I, it's not something I think about a sure. whole lot. Sure. Um, it just sort of, it, it, for me, comedy is, um, it, it, it only works if it has um, a logical sense. Sure. That it's actually grounded in some kind of reality, mm -hmm. you know, even though we can go really quite wacky and off, sure. the, off the wall, there has to be, I hate to use the word truth, <laughs> because there is no truth in the theatre, it's all, it's yeah. all lies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if we were actually telling the truth... We'd be very bored, yes. for one. Or well, if we actually believed that this were true, we, we would need to be in a psychiatric That is world. true. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, so finding the, the truth about any particular situation, oh, that does the ice cream man. <laughs> um, uh, so, but, I do a lot physically. I think quite a physical performer, uh, but it always, you know, it's, it's, it's whatever the character is, mm -hmm. touchstone. And I, I hadn't really thought about it, what I was doing, until one night I came out because I've been checking sound levels and stuff, and I watched Jayquiz. When Jayquiz is, uh, you know, there's a bit where he's met the fool in the forest, and mm -hmm. he starts, he's doing an impression of me, which I didn't know, <laughs> and he's making all these sort of floppy. He's got these really floppy legs, and I'm going, "What? Is that really what I do?" And I, and I, and I was watching myself, and I'm like, "God, look, my legs are all floppy." <laughs> and it, it was just, I was not something I was thinking about. It yeah. just sort of, it just sort of happens. So I've got very lazy as an actor, I suppose. I, suppose <laughs> I just, it just let it happen. Right, and, right. <laughs> Uh, but there's a lot that we do in terms of spacing and the uh -huh. physical movements in order to, um, you know, to make it work. Mm -hmm. uh, I, 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 I have this sort of sense. Um, it, it's like the hair's going. You know, I feel physically ill if the timing is wrong. It's like, sure. And I don't know what it is. Yeah. But yeah. if something's not clicking or the spacing is wrong, it just like uh, it, it makes me angry. Yeah. And I yeah. have to deal with it there and then. Yeah. And uh, uh, 
and this and often it's things like if someone is uh, uh, moving on a line mm-hmm. uh, or something like that and it kills the punchline yeah. and you know I have to please don't move on that line because sure. we're not getting that laugh yeah, and, yeah, and then yeah. it becomes oh don't move on any of Melville's lines <laughs> like, no seriously it's, it's the formula and if you fuck with the I mean, if, if you it's okay go ahead really yeah <laughs> <laughs> if you if you if you screw up the formula then uh, uh, it it, uh, it doesn't work so that, that kind of stuff yes we get very specific with I have had various jobs from time to time this was much later I had various jobs it's very interesting uh, I can't remember. Uh, the first job I had was with the Minister of Pension when I attended to letters which people sent to us, you know, things like, uh, Sir, uh, I, I have been in bed with a doctor for a week. <laughs> <laughs> and he doesn't seem to be doing me much good. <laughs> If things don't improve, I must get another doctor. (laughs) Sir, this is to notify you that I have given birth to twins in the enclosed envelope. (laughs) (laughs) Re, re your dental inquiry. The teeth on top are fine, but the ones in my bottom are hurting. <laughs> are you musical at all? Yes. I mean, I know you are because I've seen you do Dr. Pinch and the Pinch Shows, but outside of that, was that a big thing for you early on? Not, a, not really. My, my father tried to make me learn the piano when yeah. I was three, and we had a big... <laughs> Screaming row, I was going to say, uh, and I said I hate him, and, <laughs> and then he didn't like being hated by his three-year-old, so uh, I, he didn't push me to learn any instruments after that. And uh, so I wasn't really until I was in the tw- my twenties when I picked up the guitar. Yeah, and. Uh, <laughs> Then I got a bit better at it in my 30s, and in my 40s I started writing songs. And yeah. last year I wrote uh, a musical, uh, which I co-wrote with uh, Melissa. Uh-huh. But I wrote all the music, and, uh, um, and we put that on. We're developing that, and I think that's got some legs. It's going to go. So it's quite a serious uh, subject, although it's also not without humour. Sure. Um, but yeah, Doctor Pinch and the Pinch Tones is really fun, and I've started writing songs in that style now. It's awesome. And I think we're thinking about doing a uh, Doctor Pinch and the Pinch Tones <laughs> show. We're doing some. We're doing a Christmas special. Oh, that's good. And uh, we, we think there might be some kind of a Pinch Tones musical review. Mm-hmm. I want to do a musical review uh-huh. based on Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness. <laughs> that is. <laughs> oh my God. Starring Doctor Pinch. Oh my God. So that's something I would line up to see. Oh. With all these happy, frothy 30s and 40s tunes. Right. right. It's a really it. interesting combination because, uh-huh. well, you know what happened? Because uh, we set the show in the 40s. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, I, again, I didn't know what to do with Dr. Pinch. And yeah. Melissa had this idea that, uh, that uh, he was a former... Uh, Nazi that was hiding out in the woods or something like that. Uh-huh. I kind of went with that yeah. as an idea. That's why he ended up being German. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and because in the, in the, he's only got six lines in the show and he, yeah. he has to uh, um, help exercise one of the Antipholi. So uh, 
So I sort of went with that. I thought, well, what if he was a former Gestapo torturer? Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, he, uh, uh, he uses his, former, his Gestapo torture techniques in order to exercise. So I got these electrodes out. And oh, God. Sort of them out. And so, so whenever we play these live shows now, we, so we still have Dr. Pinch's backstory, which is always a little bit near the knuckle. Uh-huh. Sometimes I'll be doing, like, we did the benefit. We did vaudeville in the park here. And uh-huh. I'm doing all these, uh, these jokes about... How he now lives in Argentina and stuff oh like God. that. And then I come back on the stage and let's go, that's it, no more Nazi jokes, you're cut off. <laughs> oh, but it's so tempting. It is, it's, you know, there's a weird Kate Flannery, uh, was one of our guests there, and I just said, but the Nazi jokes just make themselves, don't they? <laughs> just, he's pretty near the knuckle, but no one's really complained yet. Yeah. No, not really complained. Do you, was, do you know that, well, you maybe haven't thought about this either. I, I tend to ask these questions that people tend not to think about. It's kind of a, a bit much. But being in a musical household, do you think that informed your rhythm, or is it something you that probably informed your rhythm without you realizing it? Your uh, sense of rhythm. Yeah, the, the, I definitely uh, informed my rhythm without me realizing it. I only mm-hmm. really realize now mm-hmm. that all of you know they, they feel like the same thing. Music, playing music, and and and. Uh, uh, something going really well on stage yeah. is musical sure uh, you know because it has its own rhythm and uh, oh my god now they're racing down the hill on their little those better be gone by showtime or this is going to be a very angry <laughs> touchstone the jester <laughs> these children are going to have a formative experience which is going to scar them for life but no uh, um that it's all it's all musical uh, in, in a way it's all it's all rhythm mm-hmm. and one of the things that we do as a company which is uh, you know on the face of it, exceptionally dull, <laughs> but really helpful, mm-hmm. is that we uh, we really try to follow uh, a specific verse speaking technique. Yeah. Um, uh, where we actually speak iambic pentameter, and the, you know you have to do that by not pausing in the middle of a line, taking a little bit of space at the end of a line, mm-hmm. and really trying to find follow a natural sounding iambic rhythm. Mm-hmm. Ba-dum, 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 um, and if you stick with that, it's amazing. The first thing it does is it, it'll it'll take about uh, 35 minutes off the running time of a show. Oh, okay. Um, and it makes it a lot easier for the audience to understand because yeah. they're receiving the information in, in little n- nuggets, sure. you know, line by line, rather than if you if you do what most modern actors do, which is you know pause an awful lot wherever you feel emotionally like doing sure, it, sure, sure. Um, uh, and then run tons of lines together. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it just it makes it harder to understand, and it uh, just it takes a lot longer. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so when you actually get to a pause that's intentional, it, it has some weight. Hoffnung's pauses are pretty amazing. Oh my God. Some of them are really lengthy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's just waiting. He's just waiting, and then he comes in with the punchline, bang, and he just kills the audience. <laughs> It had to have been, I, I mean, obviously he's quite charming to listen to, but I mean, I think in person the charm, there must have been something there too that we're clearly not witnessing. He seems like an extremely gentle and, yeah. and, and lovely person. Yeah. Um, yeah. And again, st- it still weirds me out. He sounds so much older than he is. I still don't get that. I still don't. You know, the other thing I wanted to ask you too is you have injected, I mean, even in Hamlet, injected some really wonderful humor into Hamlet. And I'm not sure, is that just nature for you or is it something you went out of your way to do there was some really there were a couple moments that were genuinely comedically strong even if they're still emotionally deep uh i yeah i think every hamlet 
It's hard to have a bad Hamlet Yeah Because it's such okay. a brilliant sure. play Sure That uh, even if you have A not terribly good actor You're going to come away With something you uh -huh. know? They've got to get something right Because everything is there Right Right And uh, the great thing about Hamlet Is you can bring uh, Hamlet to yourself Yeah or, or rather, bring yourself to Hamlet. You know, you can, you can, you know, everybody has their own inner Hamlet, and uh, uh, I suppose that you know, my Hamlet was, you know, had some comedic rhythms. But I do think that most of the comedy that we found in the play is intentional of, you sure. know, from Shakespeare. And there's some lines that I think are deliberately intended to be uh, jarringly funny. Yeah. Um, and it's something that he. Uh, experimented with a lot in the later half of his career was how how comedy and tragedy can mix and there was you know the law of tragedy and comedy supposedly is written by the Greeks or the Romans or whoever um, is that they should they should never mix they're like you know right, oil right. and water or whatever yeah uh, but he really wanted to mash them up and you know yeah. so that you get plays like the winter's tale which is the first half is you know very <laughs> severe tragedy and then the second half is raucous balls out comedy yeah um, and then it goes into this sort of strange romance, but there's, um, but Hamlet has, you know, not not as much variety, but there are definite moments, and I think like the one moment that always got a laugh was when I would, you know, after that intense scene with Gertrude in the uh, the closet, they'd be dragging Polonius's body out, and then he says, "Good night, mother," and like like it's you know, <laughs> any other night he just happens to be dragging this body, and I think a line that's just so pithy and pat like that, yeah. Uh, I, I believe it had to be in, in, intentionally funny, yeah. and, and uh, uh, you know, and I would get you know taken down a peg or two for doing stuff like that. You know, right, was, right. Uh, people didn't like it, and then yeah, there's some stuff that I would do that was. I had a couple of bits, and I played the part for about five years. So by the end, I was really stripping away some of the gimmicks that I put in. Uh -huh. Early on, it was you know there were quite a few gimmicks in it. Um, but I, I got rid of most of those, and it was still uh, much of the laughter was was actually coming out of the language. It's not you know I was just and and some of it would be like imageries, and, you know, like Rose, when he's describing Rosencrantz and Guildenstern in the closet scene, you know. Uh, uh, and he says, you know, my two school friends, whom I will trust as I do adders fanged. <laughs> you know, that, just expressing that image in a way that the audience can understand, yeah. they laugh. It's a great image, yeah. you know, these, you know, and they are like adders fanged, and, you know, and it's a funny image, but it, 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 the audience is understanding and connecting with it, and they're laughing, and that's, that's, not, that's not inappropriate, but there are a lot of people that would, uh, not a lot, there are a few people that, uh -huh. that, that believe that. Shakespeare should be uh, a bit like going to church. Right, know, you know, right. Uh, 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 my experience of going to church was that it was something, you know, sitting on a hard wooden seat yeah. once every week that made that was supposedly good for you, but it was exceptionally boring. <laughs> and I, I think there are some people that feel that that's how, you know, Shakespeare... And it's, you yeah. know, out here in the park, it's, it's, it is raucous fun. With a tragedy like Hamlet, it does... A lot does depend... On the uh, uh, where we're doing it, we did Hamlet in the studio, and it was much more intense. You know, yeah. so we have a little space. Basically, it's our rehearsal room, but in the off season, we put up 49 seats and we run little shows. We ran Hamlet in there year before last, I think. Mm -hmm. Well, no, last year, and it was uh, it was quite a different show. It still had a lot of that humour, but it was much more intense. But mm -hmm. out here in the park, when there's a thousand people watching it, and they're 
drinking Charles Shaw. Mm. Not that they should <laughs> be doing this because it's a Rex and Parks facility and that's that's forbidden and they could, they could get a ticket for that. <laughs> but some of them uh-huh. somehow are doing it. Uh, and uh, uh, you know, there's a party atmosphere and they they will go with it. So you have yeah. to you have to watch it a little bit. But it's you know that's people have come to be entertained and you know. Uh, I believe in giving them what they came for. Sure. Yeah. Uh, not to the detriment of the tragedy. I right, right, right. The two can exist together. I am amazing diverted by your entreaty for a room. <laughs> I can offer you a commodious chamber. <laughs> with a balcony imminent. <laughs> to the romantic gorge and I hope you want to drop in. <laughs> A vivacious stream washes my doorsteps. So do not concern yourself that I am not too good in bath. I am superb in bed. <laughs> Sorrowfully, I cannot abide your auto. <laughs> but there's, there's never a conscious effort to find it. You just, if it's there, you try and make sure that it's clearly humor, or, or no, am I wrong? Well, a lot of it can be, how do you, how do you get into a scene? Mm-hmm. You know, what's going to make this clear? And, and often, by making it clear, it, it somehow becomes comedic. I mean, the, okay, one yeah. of the big sort of set pieces in Hamlet is... Uh, the speak the speech yeah yeah um uh and uh, th- on paper that's sort of a dry discourse about the state of uh, theater back then sure. it teaches us a lot about what acting was to elizabethans and that they appreciated naturalism and that there were lots of hammy actors back then and then mm-hmm. there's a long uh piece about the rise of the child companies and yeah how they were taking over we cut that but mm-hmm. uh but What's important to get from that is that Hamlet is someone who's very excited by theatre um, and uh, uh, and also, you know, he's got opinions and he's really quite bossy, but it's one of the few times in the play that you see him happy and excited and animated about uh, something that's not to do with the death of his father. Right. Uh, right. <laughs> momentarily not depressed. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, uh, and he's a bit of a closet director, so we went we went with that and said, well, you know, what if what if this was him just directing the scene, and mm-hmm. in, in between these lines, the actors are trying to speak the lines, and he keeps stopping them yeah. because he keeps, you know, and he's if these are the the great actors that uh, they supposedly are and that he really admires, um, then it's not really his place to stop them in the middle right. of rehearsal, right. but he does it. Right. Um, uh, so, we, so we we really went with that, and and by doing that, it became a you know quite a funny moment that I think said everything that Shakespeare wanted to say, but at the same time, uh, you know, was was funny, and it, it, that's an, an example of it. I don't think that was Shakespeare's intention. Yeah. Because uh, you know he was speaking to his audience about very particular issues back then. Yeah. Oh, we got a, we got the iPhone radio on back there, <laughs> uh, uh, but but it was that was our way of finding our way into it and making modern corollaries. You know, Louis when he was playing the player King would every time I was giving him direction, he was trying to understand it and he was interpreting it as Marlon Brando or other sort of uh-huh. acting habits, modern acting habits that that we could allude to that 
you know, Shakespeare was talking about you know their contemporary acting habits, but we, mm-hmm. we sort of made it about that. So, you know, I think it was true to the material, but yeah, I, I, I don't think that Shakespeare's intention was that that was supposed to be as funny as we made it. But yeah. But, uh, but it worked, you know, and, uh, you know, we when we're working on these shows, we really try to, uh, to, f- to find the most imaginative and creative solution and, 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 and often, the, you know, the hardest the hardest things are the most rewarding in the end because that's when you come up with something that's surprising and and, and, sure. and teaches you something new about it that you hadn't thought of before, you know, going back to Benedict and mm-hmm. Gerard Hoffman. Um, uh, you know, that for me, that breakthrough uh, was, was really interesting because I don't, you know... Most of the people I was working with never perceived the character in that way, yeah. and, and by, by playing it that way, it really worked for the production, and it worked for me. I don't think that it necessarily would work for another actor, but it, right. uh, it, it, but it sent the play in a in a direction that I've you know I haven't seen. Well, actually, no, I have seen one other actor do that kind of like that. Nicholas mm-hmm. Provost and great production at the RSC, but you know, uh, so yeah. It was, it was different, but we're always, yeah, we always challenge ourselves not to make the obvious choice, you know. Sure. Um, and, and sometimes the obvious choice is the best choice, but, but you have sure. to explore all of the other choices mm-hmm. first. But, but, in, you know, but in forcing yourself to, to, to go a little bit further, sometimes you can open up a whole new uh, uh, avenue of thought. Yeah. Did you, okay, uh, did you, was there a lot of comedy stuff in the house, or was it mostly just the music? Was there anything well, else? Well, my, my parents were both very funny people. Uh, my father, uh, my, on my father's side, my family are all, a lot of them were musical performers in in Glasgow. Mm -hmm. And, uh, my sort of great, great uncle or, you know, fairly distant uncle, I think. His name was Will Starr. He was a famous accordion player and he actually had his own musical show at one of the big theatres in in Glasgow Uh and and, then various other members of the family. They're mostly sort of musical, but, but, Uh you know, with a lot of that sort of comedy, you know, as, as those musical things were, sure, you know, sure, sure. funny songs and, yeah. and you know, uh, uh, I don't know, really, you know, I think my father mentioned it when I was, I never really paid much attention to it, but it suddenly makes a lot of sense now, given the way my career's going. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but on my mother's side, uh, she was a sort of, they're an, they're an odd, they were fairly an odd, odd couple, even, even for the 60s, and the, you know, she was a sort of... Uh, upper-class English debutante, and he came from a, um, uh, you know, his parents. His dad was a bus driver, and my grandmother was a, a, a conductor on the on the buses, uh-huh. and you know, came from definitely sort of working-class yeah. background in a mining community in uh, in Scotland. Um, uh, but my mum, uh, no, my grandfather always wanted my mother to be a. a an actress, but she turned out to be a dressage mm-hmm. horse trainer. And uh, uh, um, but that, my grandfather was was a very eccentric man. I wish uh, I had some videotape of him or something. He died when I was ten, but mm-hmm. my father still t- tells stories about him. And he, you know, he's he's very much of the sort of Hoffnung kind of. You know, he sounded like Hoffnung. 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, 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 you know, because Hofgang sounds really quite upper class. Yeah. When he comes out with all that kind of hippie stuff at the end, you're yeah. just slightly surprised. Cause, mm-hmm. But, you know, he's actually, you know, from a German Jewish family, but he sounds, you know, he only came to England when he was 12, wasn't he? Right, right. Uh, so it's amazing. He's got this very sort of upper class English accent. But my grandfather was sort of wealthy gentleman farmer um, who uh, every every afternoon would drive his tractor to the pub and uh, 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 have you know, several pints and a pink gin and then go and, uh, and, and drive around the orchard with his, uh, with his uh, dog on the back of the tractor and he'd sing dogs and make up, uh, sing songs to the dog. <laughs> And, and, and the, he said, had this song called Boozy Barky Bikey Boo, and, he would, and the dog would howl. He'd go, Boozy Barky Bikey Boo! And uh, I, based, I based Toby Belch on my memories of my grandfather. And, uh, uh, but yes, they were definitely very eccentric, uh, uh, funny English people. And, then, and my dad has a, a good repertoire of jokes and the real sort of musical sense of humor. My mother's sense of humor was incredibly dry. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, um, so yeah, there was uh, there, there was always a lot of laughter in our house and uh, and lots of jokes. My father was a bit of a practical comedy person. He used uh-huh. to, if there was a tense moment at the dinner table, he would uh, like pick up a uh, cheesecake and shove it in my face or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you know when you, can you recall when you were first exposed to Shakespeare when that first became a thing? I mean, I understand. It's, it's England, so clearly it's always there for you, but I mean, the first time when you were aware that it was something important to you? Uh, I, well, I always wanted to be an actor, mm-hmm. and uh, I think um, when I was at prep school, I was, I was in the poetry reading club and I was given a, the dagger speech from Macbeth to read mm-hmm. and that was sort of uh, very exciting to me to suddenly uh, uh, you know, have the, the real stuff to work with and, uh, uh, you know, rather than everyone else getting poems but I got this, this thing that was actually a piece of theatre and uh, uh, you know, that seemed to involve acting so uh, uh, I think that was, that was really kind of my first memory yeah, yeah. Um, do you, did your parents were there was there anything where they specifically gave you a piece of comedy or, or an album to listen besides this maybe that that you should listen to this it's very funny or was that because I hear that every once in a while some of my guests will say oh my parents you have to listen to this this is the comedy that you should like right 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 um, hi how you doing well I, when I was a, yes. I remember being very young and catching a piece of Monty Python on the television mm-hmm and uh, uh, it was a Terry Gilliam cartoon about the house hunters, <laughs> and you know, and the, and, the, and the hunters are going around shooting houses. And I just thought that was just a brilliant thing. And then my parents saw me sort of watching it from the corner of the sofa. Going, no, you have to go to bed. And I'm like, oh no, really? And uh, it was a few years later, I think. And for Christmas, they gave me a Monty Python record, and uh, uh, and, uh, and I learnt it off by heart. And I, I think I embarrassed my mother a lot one night when they took me out to a restaurant and the only thing I would order was spam. (laughs) (laughs) Spam, 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 spam and chips. Do you know which album it was they got you? Uh, I had the... uh, Too many. I had the one with the butterfly and the arms going around it. Oh, Uh, yeah, yeah. 
uh, another side of Monty Python is it? I had the one where it's got the two like it's you know it's a, it's they have the the hidden groove oh, where yeah, you play yeah, it and kind of handkerchief I think yeah, yeah, yeah and, yeah. and you suddenly go what the hell I thought this was a different <laughs> I don't remember hearing this before and uh, uh, the, I'd had the TV series one mm-hmm. the, you know the the Monty Python one and the contractual obligation album yeah with all the songs on it mm-hmm. um, and my friends at school had uh, had them on there we would make cassette tapes of them and, mm-hmm. and uh, everyone's arriving for their picnic so it's getting very loud here having freshly taken over the proprietary of this notorious house <laughs> I am wishful that you remove to me your esteemed costume <laughs> Standing among savage scenery, the hotel offers stupendous revelations. (laughs) There is a French widow in every bedroom. Affording delightful prospects. Well, maybe then we should wrap yes. it up since we've got a show and people are, are arriving. But I, I, uh, if you were to recommend this album to anybody who's never heard of him, as I hadn't, what would, what would be your recommendation? Why, why listen to Hoffman if you haven't heard of him before? Um, you know, I, I think that it's. Uh, um, well, for one thing, the humour, it, it never goes below the navel. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he has one joke about... About an actual navel. About, about an actual navel. <laughs> what, was it? what body part would you, uh, <laughs> would you would you choose to keep? Oh, my navel. <laughs> Why? Because I, was it because I like to eat celery in bed? And that's the best place to keep your salt? Or yes. <laughs> that's the first, one of the first things he says, and I'm like, what am I listening to? My mind is kind of blown at that. But it's very clean, and I I hear a lot of uh, Hofnung and Eddie Izzard actually. Yeah. In in uh, in his phrasing and delivery, mm-hmm. and that's another thing that Eddie Izzard can do really nicely is that you know he can do a whole set. With, you know, he spares a bit and stuff, but in, this never it never gets really dirty. No. Oh, I got the Amarone. <laughs> um, so uh, uh, I think it's a good example. It's so He's a friend of mine's a stand-up comic, and he's you know most of his comedy is about sports and stuff. Yeah. But I go and watch him, and every other comic is like it's absolutely filthy and you know, rape jokes and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, which are you know, in uh, you, know, you know in moderation, are very funny. Sure. But it seems to be that's the go-to now, and uh, I think it's it's inspiring to hear someone do you know 30 minutes of really very very witty funny stuff that you know. What is it? You know, like oh, this is you know, 50, 60 food. years later. Yeah, it, it, it's, you know, it would still make you laugh. Yeah, um, it, you know, if, it feels a little bit dated, sure. but at the same time, you know, a, a lot of it is, you know. Oh, you have you know, plenty of dessert with you also. It's still very funny. Um, I want to make sure then that we uh, that you can plug everything you can here, uh, just where to follow, where to, where to find everything related to the shape. Oh right, okay. So the the web address is is isla.org. Uh, 
LRG, mm-hmm. that's Independent Shakespeare Company, Los Angeles, acronym, ISCLA, um, uh, ORG for organization, or ORG, as they say here. <laughs> I have to say that, because they say dot, dot .org, and they go, dot, dot .org? No, no, org, org. Uh, org. Uh, oh! <laughs> and then they go, your accent's terrible. <laughs> Uh, um, and the Facebook uh, I- Independent Shakespeare you know, Facebook Independent Shakespeare um, yeah everything's on the website really yeah um, and then so we have two more weeks here in the park but we have a studio we're running a new adaptation of Serrano de Bergerac in the fall we have Christmas Carol uh-huh. I do my sort of almost solo Christmas Carol um, uh, which I perform with Charles Dickens and, uh, which is very funny as well. Yeah. The nice thing about that is it really uh, Dickens has a really wry sense of humour, and uh, you don't get that in a in a really sort of in a dramatisation of a Christmas Carol. But if you just if you follow just his his uh, his words, his narrative, you, you can really connect with. Uh, you know, it's quite a naughty sense of humour, even like Tiny Tim at some point. Yeah. So uh, 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 I would definitely recommend coming to see me. In a Christmas Carol, <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, Romeo and Juliet we're doing in the spring uh, in the studio, uh-huh. and then we're back here in the summer for another ten weeks. Uh, we haven't decided on the entire season, but I'll be playing Richard the Third, and we're doing um, uh, Twelfth Night. I'll be reprising Sir Toby Belch, awesome. based on my grandfather. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for doing this. First thank of all, you, Jason. and everybody, please, if, if you're in Los Angeles or if you're coming to Los Angeles, please see as many shows as you can. I do it every year, as many weeks as possible, because I, it's one of my favorite things to do here. And uh, again, also thank you for exposing me to something new. I, I love this. This is a great album. I enjoyed it thoroughly. And uh, yeah, again, thank you for coming, and everybody, thank you for listening. And as always, have a good thing. Thank you. But if you put on a concert of music by Honegger, or Schoenberg, or Bartok, the public keeps away. And it's up to you, to you, all of you, to attend these functions, to encourage the arts, and see that the money is spent on things like an opera house. Do you know, you know that I, I, I was told the other day that the, uh, that the, uh, the Hamburg town council spends more money on the opera alone than the arts council spends on the entire arts in Great Britain. Yes. I don't know. I don't know. <coughs> that may well be. But then, take it this way. Look at the money we spend on armament. Look at the money we devote to senseless things. And for me, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about me now. <laughs> for me, for me, life is going to start when I find myself living in a proper civilized society with no color bar and no race riots. And that's not the worst, but in a society where young people stand up when they feel that some injustice is done, because they don't. People don't stand up. They will not stand up. They sit back and they say, oh, this is a great pity, and that's that. But that's when life is going to start for me, when I find people standing up and, 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 and do something about the things they feel strongly about, these appalling things. That's all! <laughs> Thank you.
Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, read our blogs, read our tweets, watch our videos, and read our books. Please subscribe on iTunes, rate us highly, and write your reviews. You can follow us on Facebook.com slash Comedy on Vinyl and Twitter at Comedy on Vinyl. This is the motley-minded gentleman that I have so often met in the forest. He has been to court here, and he swears. Oh, yes. If any man doubt that, let him put me to my purgation. Yes, yes. I've trod a measure, yes. I've flattered a lady, yes. I've been politic with my friend and smooth with mine enemy, I've undone three tailors. I've had four quarrels. And I've liked to have fought one. And how was that, Tana? Faith, sir, we found it was upon the seventh course. Again? The seventh course. Oh, I see. How was on the seventh course? Oh, I like you, this fellow. I like you very well. Oh, God, you, sir, I desire you of the like. Sir, I press in here amongst the rest of the country copulatives. <laughs> to swear and to forswear according as marriage binds and blood breaks. Ah, the old favoured thing, sir, a poor thing, but, but mine own. A poor human of mine to take upon me that which no man else will. Rich honesty dwells in your poor, poor house, sir, or like your, your pearl and your foul oyster. By my faith, he is very swift and sententious. According to the fool's boat, sir, and such dulcet diseases. But how did you find the quarrel upon the seventh call? Ah, faith, sir, uh, upon a lie seven times removed. Body, bear your body more seeming. <laughs> <laughs> I did dislike the cut of a certain courtier's beard. He sent me word that if I said his beard was not well cut, he was of the mind that it was. This is called a varatort cutties. If I sent him word again it was not well cut, he would say he cut it to please himself. This is called the quip modest. If again it was not well cut, he would say, I spake not true. This is called the reply. Shirley. Oh. Again, it was not well cut. He disabled my judgment. This is called the reproof. Valiant. If again it was not well cut, he would say, I lie. This is called the countercheck quarrelsome. If again it was not well cut, we move to the lie. Circumstantial. And then the lie, direct. And how often did you say that his beard was not well cut? Oh, sir, I, I durst no, go no further than the lie, circumstantial. Oh, he durst not give me the lie, direct. So we measured swords and parted. Can you nominate now, in order, the degrees of the lie? Yes. Yes, yes, I can. I, yes, we quarrel in print. As you have books for good manners. Yes, yes, I can name it the degrees. <laughs> the first, the retort courteous. The second, the quit modest. The third, the reply churlish. The fourth, the reproof valiant. The fifth, the count check. Quarrels on the sixth, the light. Since the seventh, the light. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, <laughs>
taking my material? <laughs> Is not this a rare fellow, my lord? He's as good as anything and yet a fool. He uses his folly like a stalking horse, and under the presentation of that, he shoots his wit. <laughs> 